Hello and welcome to the eTalking podcast. I'm Stuart Garlic and I'm from Motion.E, which you can catch on motion.e.org, the place to go for features around Formula E and sustainable transport, but also increasingly at the moment because that's where we're going because of various circumstances, sim racing. And that's where we start today because myself and Ryan King sat down over a Discord line to talk about the uh, move by Formula E to online racing and how the Formula E race at home challenge is working out but also all the various other forms of sim racing that are taking place in all of the Formula E around the world and uh, which forms of motorsport are doing it better than others and why. We also talk about Ryan's exploits in iRacing where he has got up to a very high standard in a very short time and is an extremely talented sim driver, whatever he might tell you. So, on with the podcast. Ryan, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Ah, glad to be here as always. Well, and um, you're actually um, a guy with racing experience because I saw that uh, you were having a go on uh, one of the sim racing uh, packages we're going to be talking about, which is iRacing recently. So how did you get on? How did you do? Uh, I have a decent amount of experience with iRacing. Like, uh, I'm, I'm still fairly new compared to most people, but I started playing around February and uh, quickly worked my way up to a level in iRacing where I was allowed to uh, start participating in IndyCar, which it iRacing is weird how they rank the series where uh, you st- where they have uh, five different license levels for for their different categories and for oval racing, uh, you know, there's rookie, D class, C class, B class, and A class. Hmm. And that middle class, C class, that's where you're allowed to start driving an IndyCar. Uh, yet for like the NASCAR Cup Series cars, it's, you know, the top series, you're not allowed to run it till A. So uh, there's uh, a wide gap of skill when it comes to driving an IndyCars because pretty much most people are allowed to run them. <laughs> Well, uh, this this is some, this isn't something we found with the sim series that have been on. Of course, there there is a big variance in quality depending on actually how much sim racing experience uh, the drivers have, um, and that is it's a difficult one to get your head around if you're used to watching. What what do I call it in real life racing track racing? <laughs> what, what what do I call the racing that isn't sim racing? Oh. I would say actual racing. That, okay. That's a fair thing to say. Because the trouble is, if you call it actual racing, you're going to upset gamers, aren't you? I mean, it. the thing is that sim racing is simulating something, right? Okay, so so let's, let's call it uh, in-real-life racing, shall we? <laughs> okay, right. we'll call it in-real-life racing. We won't say IRL, because it will confuse people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, indeed. Uh, but um, hey, we, um, we are in a land of confusion, as somebody once said. Um, so y- you've, you've got all these different sim packages that are being used differently by various series around the world right now. Um, obviously, it goes without saying the reason that we have transitioned to sims is because... Um, so, um, so because of the global public health crisis and the lockdown and the quarantine, people are moving over to sims. Um, and... Um, Different categories are doing it in different ways, aren't they? So um, over on your side of the pond in America, uh, we've got uh, eNASCAR and we've got IndyCar, both using iRacing. And uh, you've also got other sim packages like uh, R-Factor 2, Project Cars 2 and Assetto Corsa, which is the one that I'm slightly familiar with. So maybe we could sort of just take a really broad overview for people who are new to new to all this what's the difference between those four big players and are there others as well uh i would say you covered all the major players like probably the only platforms you haven't mentioned are the i say proprietary games but like they're proprietary in it's made for a specific series, not that it's an accurate recreation. It's like a mass market console game like F1 2019. 
Yeah, and um, actually, that's that's where the controversy has has come, because uh, IndyCar and NASCAR mainly because. Uh, IndyCar doesn't have an official video game and NASCAR has NASCAR Heat, which is a very arcadey version of NASCAR. Am I right? Uh, I mean, they try their best, but yeah, it's kind of far and away from iRacing. So they're both using iRacing and um, I, how accurate would you say the version of iRacing with the settings they're using is compared to, quote-unquote, the real sport? Oh, it's... I would... I would compare it from, like, from what I heard from the drivers, there are certain aspects that uh, are sort of out of date. So, basically, iRacing as a platform is over 10 years old now, uh, and... Unlike, like, they were the first uh, company, well, one of the first companies to push, uh, it's not a game, it's a service. And they're one of the few people that actually stuck to it actually being a service, where they constantly update their game to make make it as accurate to real life as possible. Though, them keeping up is pretty difficult on their part, where one of the complaints from the drivers, specifically the reigning IndyCar champion, Joseph Newgarden, is with the tire model they use for IndyCar, where uh, the IndyCar is actually more difficult to drive in iRacing than in <laughs> real life. Uh, <laughs> where uh, it's easier to save the car in real life. There's some uh, there's some gradient in terms of whether you have traction with whether you have tire traction or not. While in IndyCar, it's more of like an on-off switch on whether you have grip or not in in iRacing. <laughs> So actually, the seasoned IndyCar pros are having a problem transitioning over to iRacing and being competitive. Yeah, because it is, it's less drivable in the sense where mistakes are punished more harshly. You, it's if if you want to be on the limit, you have to, you actually have to be careful. There's there's no saving it, especially like on the ovals where the minute you lose traction you're you're going for a ride out of your control <laughs> and i i know um in the american forms of motorsport quite a quite a lot of the time um driver contracts are a lot tighter in terms of what they must sign up for as as a driver in terms of pr in terms of stuff away from the track so um are the drivers being forced to do these sims or is it still their choice uh it feels like a bit of both where uh, some series required it. Like I believe IndyCar required it for all their full-time drivers, but still the part-time drivers are getting involved because they're just interested in participating. Well, yeah, it's, it's actually ironically given Sebastian Bourdais more chance of getting races than he would have had um, in real life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it is a great, time isn't it uh, for um playing games of what if with racing so um I, I don't know if you follow tom aaron on twitter simon aaron's son but uh, he's he's been making some fantastic recreations with project cars too of um like the british grand prix if it were at castle Coombe in wiltshire oh, i have seen those <laughs> yeah and um um and what would happen if you let indie cars do rallycross that kind of thing <laughs> And it's it's amazing to watch. I would love to watch a full race of um, the professional um, in real life on track drivers playing a sim on a completely weird and unsuited circuit. That would be fun. Yeah, where uh, I I racing tend to pump the brakes on that a little, but you do see things like that. So like uh, next week, uh, I racing IndyCar the 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 act the the one on on iRacing for, for the normal people. Uh, they're going to the road course at Daytona next week. Hmm. Okay, okay. Um, and, of, of course, you know, it's it's not so long ago that the idea of NASCAR turning up at Indianapolis was completely anathema to most people. Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was... 25 years ago where where they went to Indianapolis for the first time and it was probably 
still today considered one of the biggest events in American motor racing history. Yeah. And um, um, as as and when racing gets going again, and uh, th- there is a very strong debate as to whether it can get going in uh, August or September, but um, the Indy 500, I believe, has been postponed until at least September, and Roger Penske, who now owns uh, Indianapolis, is saying that he'd like a double-header IndyCar and NASCAR uh, weekend. Is, is that something that uh, you think would be a positive thing for both sports, if indeed it goes ahead? Uh, yes. So, like, the right now, the Indianapolis 500 is scheduled to take, is scheduled to take place in August, and... Uh, a part of the you know month of May, as it were, was the the opening of May is normally the road course race at Indianapolis for IndyCar, and obviously since that's been postponed, it was actually rescheduled to the Fourth of July weekend when where NASCAR races at Indianapolis. Though again, that's still it's probably going to get postponed at this point. So that was supposed to be the first. NASCAR IndyCar doubleheader and it would be really beneficial for IndyCar considering that IndyCar's audience is about the 10th yeah the 10th <laughs> the a 10th the size of NASCAR's audience <laughs> Well, um, I've 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 often been amazed by the YouTube subscribers that some uh, content creators can get, but uh, Chainbear F1 now has uh, more subscribers than um, almost every racing series except for F1 and NASCAR, I believe. I'm I'm not surprised because his content's way more appealing than most of those series put out in their YouTube channels. Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to ask what kind of expectations I should have for sim racing, because um, when we bear in mind that this is something that um, professional racing drivers who often don't game uh, have been asked to basically leap into with both feet because they're under contract teams and um, and or they would like to do something uh, while there's nothing else to do and they're in quarantine. So... You've got you've got these uh, men and women going into very different environments and trying their best, uh, and th- the racing has suffered as a consequence compared to what we would normally expect. I think it's fair to say, but is it about time that I set the bar lower and just was happy that we had some form of racing to watch rather than expecting it to be of such a high standard? Yeah, it's the standard is. Yeah, the standard's not going to be high because a lot of these, a lot of these drivers, and kind of to generalize, it tends to be the older drivers who don't have a lot of iRacing experience. Uh, it's it, it's a completely different medium. That's like I would say a rough comparison is like expecting filmmaker to make a fantastic television series it's like two it's like on paper it's very similar mediums but when you really get to when you really get down to like the mechanics of how each of them works it's just completely different and uh, we're actually asking entertainment professionals in all kinds of fields to jump over to something that, that feels to the public eye quite similar, but isn't. Um, a great example would be asking Conan O'Brien to be Phil DeFranco, to be a YouTuber, um, when he hasn't got a camera, he's got no microphone, he, he, um, he he's used to having every, everything set up by a massive crew, and he's doing it himself with his family now. It's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a big difference where uh, I would say a big difference f- from real racing to sim racing is that support, is having a team decide your strategy for you, tell you, like, in NASCAR situation, they do have, they still have spotters for their official events, but when you're when you're racing by yourself in, like, a general iRacing server, you don't have your own spotter. You just have the computerized spotter, and that's it. So generally that's one of the advantages that the that the sim regulars have where they're used to you know being able to calculate fuel strategy by themselves while they're racing hmm 
Yeah, and um, of course, we'll come on to Formula E in a moment, but one of the initial problems with Assetto Corsa's modelling of the Formula E car was that they had no idea of how to model battery settings, so they just left that off the car initially, so you could just race it with 100% battery the whole time. I believe that R-Factor 2, which is the official modelling of Formula E, has got that fairly spot on now in terms of battery modelling, but... Um, generally speaking, the car modelling in The Sims is as close as we can get right now with the computers we've got and the servers we've got, isn't it? But the damage modelling is not. So can you explain what's going on with the damage modelling, first of all, in the iRacing series that we've talked about? So how accurate is the damage? Is it 100% or not? Oh, I'd probably say it's 90% accurate in terms of uh what it could do to your car like some people are frustrated by it especially in the indie cars where like if you brush a wall too hard and you damage your suspension like it's it's fine you could you could drive it back to pit lane but then people get frustrated when it's not repairable when they don't understand that they've been able to drive back to pit lane why can't my pit crew repair it because in real life they wouldn't be able to repair it mm, yeah um, unless it was the Daytona 24 hours and you were Hilo Castro and Erez and you could just wait for a couple of hours for them to do it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like, I'd say iRacing has it fairly accurate. Like, the the only issue is uh, kind of when you race someone with, say, an unstable internet connection, you could end up in accidents uh, just on the basis of... Uh, what what you know the general term net code where mm. where you don't actually make contact with the other car but you were you were judged by by the code to be close enough that you did make contact and i, I believe there's been occasional buggy internet issues where people have blipped on and off and then gone into somebody for example yes i would say like net code has come up last weekend in iRacing IndyCar in the official series where uh, it was Will Power and yeah, Will Power was racing for the lead with Scott McLaughlin, uh, his Penske teammate. Mm. And uh, they were coming up around lap traffic and they overtook Oliver Askew at McLaren and Askew decides to try to race to return to the lead lap they go three wide into, into turns three and four. Uh, they make net code contact, and mm. Oliver Askew inadvertently takes out not only those two Penske's, but also Will Power, you know, struggling to remain on the lead lap, takes out another one of his teammates. And how angry do you think racing drivers get when this kind of thing happens? Because on the one hand, um, you'd be livid if it happened in real life. And, well, if it's NASCAR, you end up in a punch-up with another driver. If it's IndyCar, you probably end up having a chat with the other driver. Uh, in, in F1, there's probably a social media beef between you and the other <laughs> driver. But in, in a sim, you know, do people still get angry like it's the real thing? Or do they accept, you know, I'm doing this for fun? Uh, it depends on where you are in the field. If it's for the lead, yeah, they always get angry. If it's like, if it's usually like midfield or back, they realize like, hey, I wasn't going to win this anyway. What? It, it wasn't a big deal. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, so we've so we talked about the damage modelling in iRacing. Um, now let's move over to Europe because lots of controversy and lots of moaning, particularly from people like myself who maybe had overly high expectations initially uh, about the damage modelling in the various championships. Um, let's begin with F1 2019. Let's begin with the virtual F1 series. Um, now, this is where mostly the F1 drivers are because they're under contract to their teams and um, uh, they've been inviting various guests in and because it's pro-celebrity and because it's done for entertainment, they've turned the damage right down. So effectively, you're getting cars skittling off the wall with no effect. Um, is this disappointing for you? Oh. For me, it's not disappointing. So like... In terms of me seeing a competitive race, like, I I don't really care that much. I think the, what people, 
what what I feel that 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 makes me disappointed personally is that uh, I expect a Formula One car to, to to race like a Formula One car. I'm not expecting the drivers to be ultra competitive out there. I'm just expecting that when they put it into a wall, it ends up like what happens to what to a Formula One car when it actually hits a wall. Yeah. And uh, we've seen a lot of drivers get away with um, what could be termed larking about, uh, which, you know, at the end of the day, they're basically, I mean, I know they're under contract to their teams, but they'd probably get paid if they didn't do it. So from that point of view, they're basically doing this for free. We, we shouldn't expect too much, but it, it's just I would love to see the F1 drivers, uh, as indeed Lando and Max and a few others have, um, going out there and challenging themselves against the, you know, hardcore sim drivers and having the consequences of damage to, to worry about. Yeah, where a lot of the a lot of the excitement of sim racing is obviously they're not being the danger of bodily harm, but still the realization that a mistake will cost you the race. You'll probably be out of the race if you, you know, hit wheels with someone. Like, uh, for an example, doing uh, iRacing over the past week, they're at Homestead, Miami, and I was in a race with Lando Norris. Lando was... Uh, Lando was really fast for someone who doesn't do this normally, but... Uh, Pretty much he made up the difference in terms of lack of speed by just being more aggressive than everyone else, which is a fair move. You just have to be good enough to stay in control of your car and not make contact with anyone. Yeah, and uh, L- Lando Norris is one of the one of the drivers who is the biggest gamers. He's he's probably uh, well, he, he has got the most subscribers on Twitch of any racing driver right now. Um is he is he the best sim driver of the professional racing drivers that we've seen, or is is there another? For example, you know the Leclerc brothers have obviously taken to the sport as well. I'd say in terms of like success in the all the different categories they raced in, I'd probably say the best might be uh, Australian Supercars driver Scott McLaughlin. Oh gosh, yeah, and I I was so sad for him because uh, I I know we don't cover IndyCar that much on this channel, but like, I I've been I've been watching him in supercars. I've been listening to people talking about his testing in uh, Homestead, I think it was, uh, or St. Petersburg, the IndyCar test. Uh, yeah, he did the test at uh, Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, and then he did the oval test at uh, Texas Motor Speedway. In- right. Yeah, and, and pe- people said he was amazing, and that he was clocking like the third fastest time on the first day, and that kind of thing, which you don't normally do on your first time in IndyCar. And I was just really sad for him that he wasn't going to ha- probably get the chance to actually, you know, get get his feet under the table with IndyCar this season. Yeah, because he was he was on a part time schedule, and he was going to do uh, the road course race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and look like a handful of other race events. Uh, but then, like, the minute that the road course race got postponed, it clashed with the supercars race, meaning you couldn't do that one, and then, like, all, pretty much, like, just the calendar being rearranged meant he couldn't do any IndyCar race. Hmm. So, it's it's sad for some drivers what's happened, and it's, it's really shaken up their schedule, and, um... Well, um, I think every championship has uh, a scheduling problem right now. Uh, of course, uh, Formula One, we, we don't know when it will get started again. Uh, Formula E, they're actually looking at, um, well, because their, their final two venues, London and New, and New York, would have both taken place in places where they have temporary field hospitals now, which um, is just something that's so appalling and macabre that you wouldn't put in a dystopian novel and um obviously i hope that um uh um we can uh flatten the curve as quickly as possible and get back to racing but getting back to racing is the minimum concern right now isn't it yeah it's kind of only one piece of trying to get some sort of normalcy back 
And to, to be honest, you know, racing is something that it's it's fun. It's entertainment when you watch it. I, I know that people rely on it for their livelihoods, but um, it's it's not the first thing that should come back to indicate normalcy, is it really? <laughs> I, it, it feels weird to say, but like sport is one of those things where it's it's ubiquitous like literally every form like every form of culture internationally has some sort of professional sport mm. Mm. and um it's it's what makes people feel good it's uh it it's um I, I, alongside music alongside cinema it's the entertainment people have it's what people watch at the weekend so uh you know i i'm i'm infinitely glad that we have sim racing because otherwise we wouldn't we just wouldn't have anything to do except watch old videos on youtube would we yeah it would pretty much be just watching classic races which like to be honest they're very enjoyable to go back and watch but you know can't can't do it every single week can't do it every single week well indeed so, what have you made of um, the Virtual F1 series in terms of the competitiveness and also in terms of them allowing in special guests who are gamers but aren't drivers, such as the cricketer Ben Stokes, such as the golfer Ian Poulter, such as three times now the Real Madrid goalkeeper Thibaut Courtois? Um, d does it devalue the racing or is it is it attracting a wider audience that they need? Uh, I, I think... I, I th I think it's partially devaluing the racing because I don't think you're going to get a wider audience, especially at a time like this. Like, it's it's mainly going to be Formula One fans, and I think by doing that, they're sending out a really bad mixed message where they they're calling these races virtual Grand Prix. There's kind of an implied message that this is a Grand Prix, but virtual, and you really devalue that by, number one, not having, you know, a majority of drivers, whether it be Formula 1 or Formula 2 drivers in the field. Like, when you put in personalities but still have that air of seriousness around it, it kind of, again, sends a bad mixed message. Hmm. And and the, the presentation of the Virtual Grand Prix does contrast quite a bit with the other series that that, that we've seen for example um you've you've got the guys in the studio which you know social distancing why are they in the studio that's the first <laughs> thing um but also um they're presenting it as if they're presenting a grand prix world feed which you know props to them um they they sound great they've done their homework um I ha have not always been the biggest fan of some of the pundits they've got, but they've really brought their A-game for the presentations. But then, you know, when you compare it to the race.com doing their broadcast on a Saturday and Veloce, you know, um, clearly the presenting team there are doing it because it's fun and because, you know, what would you do otherwise? And they seem to be allowed to have more of a laugh with the presentation there. Would you say that's right? I I'd say that's right. And again... It, it, it goes to that mixed messaging thing where the the Vlaje event uh, it's it's sold as being entertaining more before being a serious co competition. Uh, the races event is sold as serious, but ev like everyone involved, including the commentators, know going in what to expect from a sim race, and know it can't be a hundred percent serious all the time because weird things just happen. Well, yes. Um, and the other thing is the Virtual Grand Prix has had, uh, as I say, Thibaut Courtois, the Real Madrid goalkeeper, on three times. So it's had a footballer on for three more races than uh, any woman or W Series driver. And um, I think that sends out the wrong message about um, junior driver programmes. I think it sends out the wrong message about the kind of diversity that F1 wants or doesn't want. Um I know that ever since they banned grid girls in F1, there's been a debate about uh, how sexist or not sexist F1 is. And um, if you even wade into that debate, you get brickbats on Twitter. I'm expecting them when this podcast goes up. But um, should they not at least be asking um, 
someone who's been on the Veloce feed, like Williams junior driver Jamie Chadwick, or like, um, you know, get a sim rig to Alfa Romeo junior driver Tatiana Calderon. Um, why why are these people not being, uh, why are they not moving heaven and earth to get them on the F1 virtual race? Uh, like, I'd say it's difficult to unpack. So, Thibaut Courtois, like, he may be Real Madrid's goalkeeper, but he also races himself uh, in real life. He does club racing. And obviously, being a goalkeeper for a major European football club, a lot of people know who he is, and he has a lot of clout on social media. But also, on the other side of things, a lot of, a lot of drivers don't want to race on F1 2019 because... It is not a reflection of how fast you are in real life, but a lot of people on the internet believe that it is. So a lot of people just avoid playing F1 2019 like Max Verstappen. Well, and actually, Max Verstappen's had more credit in a way for not playing F1 2019 because where he has turned up... Um, it's almost been like Paul McCartney making a guest appearance um, in a band, you know, or in a jam session. It's like, oh, wow, Max Verstappen's here. And then usually he creams the field, whatever he's doing. Uh, clearly the guy is uh, a hardcore gamer and uh, clearly he's very, very good. But yes, it's a frustration that he won't go to the virtual Grand Prix and test his skills there. Um, yeah, but what... I've driven with Max Verstappen more times during this hiatus than Thibaut Courtois. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, why do you think Max Verstappen won't do the virtual Grand Prix? Is it because he doesn't like this? That doesn't like the program, or or what? Oh yeah, he's he's openly said that. Yeah, he doesn't like F one twenty nineteen, and that again, it's reiterating that uh, being good at F one twenty nineteen is not indicative of actual racing skills. It's more actually indicative of just experience with the F1 games, which he doesn't have a lot of, so he doesn't want to go out there and not be fast. I I think also, although he does work very hard on, you know, putting across some kind of sense of humour when he does the Twitch streams and whatever, um, he's, he's always struck me as one of the more super serious drivers, and um, I, I think uh, when I've seen him racing, like he did some kind of midweek event, um, for i think it was the race actually um and he was on uh i'm going to say project cars or assetto corsa and he was taking it really seriously you know right down to the last lap he was he was forcing people onto the grass and stuff in, to, to get his win that, that's that's not the kind of approach that many of the f1 drivers are taking so may, maybe he is a fish out of water in terms of he's taking it much more seriously i'd say that like I'd say that Lando Norris is just as serious when when he's racing as well. Where to a degree, everyone wants to have fun, but these are still professional racing drivers. They they have that urge to win. Hmm. So so in a way, Lando Norris is not any less serious about his driving or his sim racing. It's just that um maybe a little bit like john McEnroe, he covers it up with humor in a way doesn't he yes yes hmm. okay so um inter interesting points raised there so we we come on to the, we come on to uh, formula e which has uh, you know it's slightly late to the party but they've come in with uh, support from unicef uh, who they're donating money to and um, they came up with a great show last weekend, in my opinion. But I, I really like the format, and they've done a lot of things that uh, the other series can look at in terms of organizing their events, where they do, in some ways, split the pro drivers from everyone else, uh, sort of, and obviously they, they actually have a tangible prize for people to win. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um and it, it seemed like a formula e race to to watch uh this was something that members of my family said when they watched it as well because that um you know all of my family are big formula e fans and um th they said that when they were watching it it was almost indistinguishable from from a formula e race now 
and also like we've said before the drivers are um, some of them new to sims and um particularly alexander sims um and um <laughs> so um so um they um but but also lucas degrassi jean eric Verne, you know that um that they are not uh typical gamers they have other interests and because like one of the biggest restraints when it comes to sim racing is uh the field of view and the uh sense of space where it takes a lot of experience to to know exactly where your co- the corners of your car are in a virtual environment hmm because it's not like in real life where you just turn and look and see your right front tire where it's like you kind of just have to imagine how much distance you have between you and the car alongside you the formula e race at home challenge as it's being called with, with unicef will uh will, will grow and grow and um i i was so so happy to see uh the the drivers that i look up to and enjoy watching um back on track again uh albeit um albeit um in a sim um and we'll have to see how that develops but i i know that they're pushing it really hard i know that they're having um uh, weekly press conferences about it and um, it, it's just so cool to see so many of the Formula E field in there but also yeah like you said on the other side you've got professional sim races uh, last time around you had um, uh, guest drivers like uh, Charlie Martin who's been on this podcast before and I think Formula E made a really positive statement about the diversity they want to see by having Charlie Martin in there. Um, great to see you in a Formula E car, but um, who would you like to see going forward as guest drivers in the virtual Formula E or any other series? Uh, it, it's, it's hard to say because like my, my gut reaction to saying like we should have a guest driver is hey maybe get a former formula e driver who isn't in the series anymore like uh like hey maybe get scott speed to come come back because he did a one-off race let's see what he could do in a current car or you know something like that kind of like a racing what if i don't suppose bruno giacomelli has a sim rig does he (laughs) i don't know if he does Oh, um, but by the way, I should mention because um, it, it's been a subject of many of our podcasts now. Um, Josh Wilcox, the autobiomelly is available uh, as a physical copy. Go get it on Amazon or wherever you get your books from. Um, but yeah, so um, sim racing, lots of positive things to talk about. Um, and I guess we're both generally pleased with how it's been going. Um, any constructive comments for how they could improve the show? Oh, I would say kind of know the limitations of your platform. So, like, uh, going back to the trying to present the the virtual Grand Prix as a Formula One uh, world feed when, like, F1 2019, it's in terms of broadcasting is heavily limited. It's not like iRacing where both where it's not like iRacing where NBC and Fox can make it pretty much look just like an actual broadcast because the tools are there just f1 2019 doesn't really have those tools unfortunately and you just got to work with what you got and i think they should lean into that more instead of trying to to fight against it Hmm. um going forward we will be having lots of um uh, sim related people uh, on the podcast because i want to know more about it and I, I think a lot of people would like to get more into the various racing series that maybe are um, always being shown and are perhaps being a little bit, little bit overshadowed by these global series that have come in uh, recently um i i know a couple of people uh, on social media who said they'd like to do the podcast in the future and um i'd love to have them on and talk to them um but uh yeah ryan so uh your iRacing experience uh is on what kind of setup so what do you use a wheel and pedals or controller how do you do it so at first when i was just you know getting to feel with iRacing i was just on a controller and that was actually surprisingly good enough uh just before this all kicked off, I got a steering wheel and pedal set up uh, with basically 
the mid-range Thrustmaster wheel and pedals and uh, just a basic wheel stand. Okay. And you would say that's enough to get into the basics of the sport? Uh, yeah. So basically my setup, could you could do anything with it. Like, again, I was able to, you know, practice with Max Verstappen. He wasn't allowed to be in the race because he was still on a rookie oval license. Uh, I raced with Lando Norris, was able to, you know, be faster than him on my setup. So you don't really need, you don't need like a thousand dollar sim rig to be as fast as the pros. Fantastic. Well, I think Stoffel Van Dorn proved that for the first few weeks of uh, his uh, his uh, experiences on the Race.com series in that uh, he, he, he was driving with, um, I think, a Logitech uh, uh, $30 steering wheel, wasn't he? Yeah, and uh, like Jacques Villeneuve was just as fast as a lot of his former peers on a controller. On an Xbox 360 <laughs> controller, which I've got one of, yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I I think Jacques Villeneuve, you know, um, is ha- has always been a man apart, um, you know, from from the loose overalls to the loose comments, uh, but to, to the blonde hair back in the day. But um, yeah, it was incredible to see him actually socking it to the professional sim drivers with a very basic setup. Uh, he, he was even leaning into a laptop as well. How how did he do it? And is it practical to think that anyone else could? Uh so. I was able to, so like in one of the starter uh, iRacing NASCAR series, so like the the mid-level series that they have at roughly the same level as IndyCar, I was able to string four race wins in a row on, a, on, an, on an Xbox One controller. <laughs> Listen, Ryan, absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for talking me through the vagaries and basics of sim racing. And um, I, I'd love to get you on more as we sort of uh, go through um, this professionalization of um, of the mainstream series in sim racing. And as we see these, you know, professional on-track racing drivers um, converting and getting used more and more to sims, I think it would be fascinating to get your impression on how things are going forward as well. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be... Uh, a strange couple of months in the sim racing world, but I'm excited to see where it goes. Now, ever since it started in 2014, Formula E has styled itself as the cool form of motorsport. One man knows more than anybody else why that might be, and that is the DJ right from the start on track, EJ. I spoke to him. Sam Cannon, uh, stage name EJ. Uh, you've been the uh, official um, trackside DJ for Formula E races, but uh, but before we get into that, um, tell me a bit about um, your your background as a DJ. So, how many years have you been working um, as as a DJ, and how did you get the opportunity to work with Formula E? Yeah, I mean, I've been involved in the music scene for quite some time. Before I started working with Formula E, um, been working with Formula E for six years now. Before that, I was actually at Ministry of Sound as head of events and part of the DJ team there. So I was at Ministry for 10 years and then I was DJing probably for another good five, six years before that as well. Uh, but uh, but I really sort of cut my cloth when I joined Ministry of Sound back in, I think it was like 2004 or something like that, and worked my way through the company, um, had a fantastic time there. Um, brilliant, brilliant company to work for. But after 10 years, you kind of want to have a little bit of a change when you've been doing some kind of not really the same thing over and over again, because it was very, um, uh, very different. All of the all of the different gigs that we did and where we went in the world and the different events that we booked in. Uh, but I just wanted a change. And, and in 2013, I met the guys from Formula E. And they were actually having a conversation. I introduced them to Ministry of Sound because uh, they wanted Ministry to be sort of like the flagship umbrella brand for all of their after parties and their big concerts and uh, unfortunately it didn't quite work out between ministry and formula e but i stayed in contact with formula e um and uh when i'd handed my notice in at, uh, at ministry and was looking for something to do the opportunity arose at formula e to um uh, to help head their music uh, department and their music strategy so I came on board with that before they even had a race before they even had a car 
uh, and uh, EJ was born, which was, I kind of wanted to create a persona that could grow with the championship and kind of had an identity. I didn't just want it to be me DJing behind the deck. So we came up with the, we came up with the idea of EJ. They really liked it. Um, also helped them write all the music for the TV broadcast along other, alongside other producers and, uh, and engineers. And, uh, and here we are six years down the line. Um, <laughs> Without any races, yeah, it's been a, it's, it's been a real sad shock. Over, I mean, it's a sad shock for absolutely everybody. But I mean, Formula E is getting bigger and bigger by the day, and uh, it's been a fantastic opportunity. And uh, really can't wait to get back on the road with them after uh, after all of this has calmed down. Well, yeah, and uh, obviously the elephant in the room is something that we we, we can't ignore. You know, um, on every podcast, it's pretty much mentioned these days. And I I guess I've got to ask you, you know. I'm a freelancer. I guess you're a freelancer as well. Um, we're we're both kind of um, looking for ways to fill in the time where we don't have, uh, you know, um, things to attend like Formula E. Nice things that we were planning to do, don't we? Right, so certainly do. Yeah, you do have to fill in the time, and it is a shock for a lot of uh, a lot of freelancers, a lot of self-employed. I mean, I you know, as myself, I mean, I I consult for Formula E and EJ is 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 my brand that I that I put into the championship so when there's no races there is no work and obviously that that's uh, that's the case for a lot of other DJs out there a lot of other event staff um you know anyone involved in the event industry anyone involved in the restaurant industry I mean now the shops it's uh, it's 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 a pretty pretty tough time but you do need to you do need to fill your time and <laughs> I'm actually uh, after this call I'm joining the uh, the bombardment of uh, of DJs that are now live streaming from their from their flats or their houses. So uh, yeah, I've, I've I've decided every Friday at six uh, six p.m. GMT uh, we're going to be um, uh, broadcasting from my flat in a little makeshift uh, sort of area that we've that we've put together. Myself, my girlfriend and I, because my girlfriend DJs as well. She's got her own thing going on. So uh, she did one the other week and has made a lovely little area that looks looks very nice with all the decor. So uh, we should be having some fun with that. That's a fantastic idea. And so, so how does that um, practically work in terms of career? I mean, do, do people donate money like they do for a Twitch stream, for example? That I haven't really looked into. I mean, to be honest, this is just a bit of fun. Um, you know, I've done I've done a few live streams from when I've been on the road with Formula E uh, on Facebook, but this one's actually going out on Instagram, and that's probably where it will sit for the rest of the time. I I don't know. I, I, you know, it's it's a very good idea. I mean, I think uh, I think that would be fantastic for artists and DJs. But you know, we've we've had a good run. Um, all, all of us had good runs. We've 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 all you know DJed in incredible places. And and uh, I think now is sort of kind of a bit of a time to sort of you can give back a little bit. So I, I wouldn't be expecting any money from it. Um, but <laughs> it's a good idea for a revenue stream. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something to think about for after the crisis then. But uh, yeah. so, um, steering back to Formula E, I mean, it's obviously um, got this reputation now as a new and slightly less stuffy form of sport than all the other kinds. And obviously, it's uh, it's known as being flexible, as being up with the times, down with the kids, whatever. Um, I I've never heard of Formula One, for example, having a resident DJ. Um, so. Did, did you notice when you were talking with the Formula E staff to begin with that hey you know the, these these guys are okay they're they're not stuffy they're not like typical sports people you know that kind of thing yeah definitely I mean it was it was fantastic to be involved in it since the beginning because when you're involved in any in any startup you've kind of got a mission you know where you want to get to but you are you are making it up a little bit as you go along and I was very fortunate to be there right from well not actually right from the beginning but definitely sort of a year into uh, a year into the whole concept and so when i i met with formula e, i met a very uh, uh, incredible man called chris taylor who is a brand advisor um and for for them and, and that's that's one of the first people i met from formula e, and he has been involved in the music industry his him, him and his brothers actually built metropolis studios in chiswick um, and they've been involved in various activities and in all sorts of areas. And uh, he was adamant, or Formula E was adamant, that they wanted music to play a big part, whether it be the the music that we're creating for the TV show, um, so that we know you, if you um, people are aware that when you actually have music played on a on a TV station or, or, or on your TV show, there's a royalty that gets kicked back, and usually it's catalogue music that goes into 
uh, those TV shows and the writers get the, 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 the royalties and the, the publisher get the royalties. So what we did is we created a, um, our own publishing company called 3E Music, uh, which holds all of the library, all of the catalogue for Formula E. Um, I'm one of the writers along with some incredible other writers and engineers and producers. Um, so we've got our own catalogue and that's what gets played throughout the TV show and on any adverts and everything like that. So that creates, I mean, it's good for them because it creates a revenue in, revenue stream into Formula E. Um, but they, I mean, it was, it was, it was funny the the first conversations we were having about having a resident DJ who was going to, you know, be, wear a helmet and, 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 and DJ trackside and everything <laughs> like that, because there was a lot of guys there that were just, um, you know, they were motorsport guys. They weren't, it, it, there were there were some entertainment people there, but predominantly when Formula E started, it was it was very very much a, a motorsport family. Mm. Apart from the CEO Alejandro Agag, who was very very supportive of all of the side of music, so that's probably how we managed to get it pushed through. But there were definitely some people at the start that were just like, "What the hell is going on here?" Especially when they found out that you know someone from Ministry of Sound was joining their company who wanted to come and plug in speakers and big sound systems and and, <laughs> and entertain the crowd that way yeah it was uh it, it it took a couple of races to win them over but uh once they they saw the fun side of it and how it can actually connect with a youth audience and bring a, a youth audience into the championship through music and who are the future uh who are the, uh, the future electric car buyers um it, uh, it it works very very well yeah, I mean, other journalistic colleagues know Alejandro better than I do, but he seems like the kind of guy who, you know, he seems like the kind of uncle who would organise uh, a phone party at Ibiza and then take part in it himself, you know, that kind of guy. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, look, he's, he's, he's a fantastic visionary. Um, I've been honoured to, to, to be able to work with him. Uh, he's actually stepped down from the, from the CEO role now, CEO mm-hmm. role now. Um, and is now the uh, the CEO of uh, of Extreme E, uh, which is the uh, the electric SUV version of, of Formula E that's going to some incredible places around the world to, you know, create awareness, further awareness around climate change. Certainly um, is. And I've got to ask you, um, might you be tempted to go on that Extreme E boat? It sounds like quite a ride for you know whatever it is nine months. Yeah, well, I mean, I had the, I was lucky enough to go on for the launch uh, when it was um, when it was uh, moored up by Tower Bridge. Um, and uh, it's, it's an incredible space, and I would love to go on the journey with them all. Unfortunately, the the, the setup that they've that they've got for the championship, I don't know too much about it, but I don't know whether it's gonna. Well, I suppose it could require a DJ actually a DJ on the boat every night would keep the party going, wouldn't it? But uh, it'd be like a yeah, cruise I mean, ship. I'm, I'm still very much you know uh, touring with Formula E. That's that that's where I started. I'd love the opportunity to get involved with with Extreme E. Hopefully, we're going to help them write some of the music for the uh, for the TV show. Um, and uh, we, we, that, that's, uh, that's, looking, uh, that's looking very promising. Um, and who knows? Who knows that, you know, we might be able to go and do a rave up in, up in the Arctic, but we, you know, we just have to make sure that we leave it in the way that, uh, that we came and uh, that we are showing that we are fully sustainable motorsport. I'm kind of aware, because I, I have to admit, I've never been to Ibiza, but like, I'm aware that like, the, whole, the, the whole thing and the, the whole way that people behave when they go over there, it's so different now to what it was in the 90s. A lot less hedonistic, would you say, the whole climate of DJing and raves and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I don't know whether, you know... <sighs> When we, you know, when when all this started, I mean, let's say that it was when it all started. If you look at what happened in the late eighties with the rave scene mm. and that sort of like like spread into the into the nineties and and the early two thousands as well, I think people are a lot more health conscious now. Um, I think there's a lot of you know a lot more fear of that. You know, if you are a little bit hedonistic, then um, you know you're going to be captured on camera and you're your face is going to be splattered over all social media. So, mm. I mean, I don't know whether that's something that, that is that the, 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 the kids that are growing up and maybe going to Ibiza now are a little bit more aware of, you know, and also, you know, there's, there's years of experience. I mean, <laughs> we've been around for a while. So um, whether they sort of look at sort of our generation that was going through, I mean, I grew up in the eight, uh, through the eighties, through the nineties, yeah. through the two thousands, it was 2000 when I first started going to Ibiza and yeah, I mean, it, 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 Ibiza has changed. It's still very, very much got that magicalness about it, though. Um, it, there is a, a very big VIP culture that didn't exist in the, you know, through the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. And 
that's so that sort of come into it. But you, you choose the right parties, you can still have a very, very good time. So tell me a bit about the challenges of DJing at a circuit, because I, I would think one of one of the inherent challenges there is that you're DJing to an audience that hasn't necessarily come to see you. So it, it's a bit like being a bar band in the sense that you've got, got to entertain people who are yeah. maybe looking elsewhere. How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. I mean, when it's a little bit different now. I mean, the last race that we just did, um, in well, last few races that we did, in uh, in Marrakesh and Mexico City before that, um, it was fantastic to see that actually there was a crowd that was coming down to actually see me perform, uh, which is which is which is lovely. Which has been the whole idea all along is that you know you've got a, a youth audience there that are that are coming for the entertainment side. They're not, they're coming for the motorsport as well. Don't get me wrong, but Formula is very very much it's, it's about everything the, all of the entertainment that that is built around uh, the the actual race itself. Um, so we've got an incredible area called the E-Village, which, which hosts sort of the, the main stage, the podium, mm. uh, any live artists that we've got playing, me performing. But you're completely right. I mean, you know, it's you are sort of there to, you're kind of creating the soundtrack to the day, really, rather than a, a big, a, a, like a, a DJ event. But I have actually noticed um, over the last few years, as the crowds are getting bigger, I mean, we did some incredible um, events in Saudi Arabia. And uh, so we, it was our second year in Saudi Arabia, Arabia this season. The year, season before that was our first year. And it was the first time that men and women uh, got to dance next to each other. And I was the first ever DJ to be able to um, uh, to, pre- to perform to, to those guys who had never been able to stand next to each other and have a dance. So that, that was that was incredible to see. And as I say, with, with Marrakesh and, and Mexico, that just the, the, the two races that just went, there is a crowd now starting to come for for the for the music side which is uh, which is really nice to see yeah no um um yeah th- thumbs up to leah your pr for mentioning this and um uh, s- saying that uh, you you certainly wouldn't mind if i asked a question about it but like going into saudi and being one of the first djs to well in fact the first dj to do a mixed live performance um did you i mean what kind of cultural differences in terms of the way they reacted to the music did you notice or was it basically like any other party after a while uh, to be honest, it was better than some of the parties that, have, that I've played at, where people have been listening to music for ages. Um, I, th- I think it, it was incredible, and I, I was so so nervous about about going on uh, because I just I didn't know what I was the first first you know before the bands we had get David Getter performing. We had Black Eyed Peas, uh, One Republic in year one, and then this year we had uh, Alan Walker and Clean Bandit and uh, Imagine Dragons. Imagine Dragons are incredible, by the way. Mm-hmm. If you've never seen them live, absolutely awesome. Um, but when you were the first DJ going up there, especially the, the first season that we did it, I just, just didn't know what to what to expect. And then you go on and and, and drop the first record, and and everybody went berserk. And I thought, oh well, this is going to be a bit easier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and um, I, I saw this great Gabriel Iglesias uh, routine where he's talking about like the, the special arrangements uh, for, for him when he was doing comedy in Saudi Arabia. Uh, did, did, you, did you get like, uh, you know, a, a, a blacked out limo to the circuit and all that kind of stuff? Or did you have to make your own way and find your own hotel and stuff? No, so I mean, when you obviously when you're on the with, with the circus with Formula E, the, the hotels are booked for you, the travel's booked for you. But it was, I mean, you, you do, don't get me wrong, there are, you know, there's the side of Saudi Arabia that I, I won't go into talking about, but, you know, you, you do hear some absolutely terrible stories, but we didn't see any of that. I mean, we, you know, we got, we got picked up from our hotel, taken by a coach to the track. Everybody who, who was, who was Saudi that was at the, that was at the track was wonderful. The younger generation are so appreciative of, of, of what's going on and how the government open it up for, for, for more of this sort of stuff to happen over there. And and they want it, you know. They 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 really really excited to 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 be to be involved in all of that on all of the live music and uh, relaxed laws and um, I mean obviously there's still you know there's, there's still very much you know no no drinking over there yeah, yeah. Um, or even though I've, I think they're just, I, I read in a magazine somewhere that they're that they're looking to do something similar to Dubai where the hotels will be able to sell alcohol, but. Um, it wasn't needed. I mean, they, they 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 were having an incredible time, and as I say, every every single person I spoke to who was who was Saudi was was wonderful to speak to, very nice, very accommodating, and uh, and 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 really lovely people. Well, that's brilliant. Um, and obviously, you've been to some great places around the world. Um, do, do you have any particular recollections of which place was? Uh, 
the 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 most amazing new place that you wouldn't have gone to perhaps if not for Formula E. I, I imagine Marrakesh was pretty special as well. Yeah, Mar- Marrakesh is a is a is a beautiful place. I mean, the, the track is obviously isn't in the heart of Marrakesh. It's slightly outside. You, you wouldn't have much luck racing the cars around on the cobbled streets in the centre. Um, but uh, you know, we we get to go and hang out in the in the in the restaurants and. And bars in the evening in in um, in the Medina, and that's that is very beautiful. I'd never been to Marrakesh before. Um, I'd never been to Beijing before. I'd never been to China before, and that was that was quite um, an incredible experience. Um, Mexico, I'd, I'd been to before, but I'd never been to Mexico City, and that was that was awesome. Santiago uh, in Chile. Uh, Punta del Este. I, I DJ'd there once actually when I was with Ministry of Sound, but Punta del Este in Uruguay is uh, is is a pretty special place. I mean, it's it's dead all all year round apart from December and January when I think they get an influx of like three million people to this little town, and uh, it's uh, yeah, very 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 nice indeed. Yeah, and um, quite a quite a mission to get there as well. I believe I believe you had to like fly to Montevideo, and then that's already a long distance from Punta. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. it's I mean, we we didn't even fly to Montevideo. I think we had to fly to Buenos Aires first of all, then to Montevideo, and then another two and a half hour, three hour journey to Punta del Este. So it's not the uh, the easiest place to get to. It's alright if you have got a private jet because you can fly straight into the small <laughs> airport that's in Punta del Este, but. Unfortunately, well, actually, tell a lie. I did hop a lift um, with with somebody on the way back to Buenos Aires who who had a private jet, and he said, "Look, we've got one space. Do you want? Do you want to come?" And I was like, "Oh man, that sounds absolutely awesome." But what happened is that Punta del Este got hit by an electrical storm, so we we got into this got we we got into like the little holding area, and we got delayed. I can't remember by about four hours or something mm. like that, and then had to sit on the tarmac for ages. Don't get me wrong; it's still a private jet experience, but it wasn't quite the one that <laughs> that that, uh, that that they uh, that they told me and promised it was going to be. Um, how how many years ago was that? Uh, that was maybe two, two or three years ago, something like that. It wasn't Jacques Villeneuve, was it? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's one of one of the guys from Formula E. Yeah. Right, but... right. No, it's just that Jacques Villeneuve was driving in Formula E in season two. That's I wondered right. if it was him, but yeah. 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 No, okay. it, was, it was a little bit later than a uh, little bit later than uh, than season two. I think it might yeah. have been season four. Um, okay. did we even do? I can't remember if we did Punta del Este last year. All these, I mean, it's gone so quickly. It's been an absolute whirlwind, and you you try and distinguish each season from each season. It becomes pretty uh, pretty difficult. Yeah, and how many seasons have you spent on the Formula E road now? Uh, all, all all six. So I've, I've six. been I've I've actually been at every single Formula E race. Well, that's that's amazing. So, so like you, it's, so like you've seen it build up from something that maybe a few diehards in motorsport followed to something that's got a genuine mainstream following. Uh, yeah. Ha, have you have you seen sort of the buzz around it change, or is is it just is it just a gig every time to you? No, I mean it's, it's, every time it's super exciting. You kind of sometimes have to pinch yourself and remember what you're doing because it's uh, you know is there's not a lot of people in the world that get to do this sort of thing, and it's it, and it's an incredible experience, but. Um, there, there's been a lot of changes. I mean, from when we first started, as again, it was a much smaller, smaller, uh, smaller company. Everybody in the events team and the marketing team and the production team and the communications team were all doing 20 people's jobs. Um, and, you know, as, as anything, as it grows, it becomes more structured. It becomes a lot more uh, corporate. And so that so that it, that's and then everybody's got their own sort of like group that they hang around in. And that's what I kind of miss with, with when we first started is that it was, it was a smaller team. So when you would go to the races, it was always, you're always going out as one, one group and now it's sort of separated and there's separate parties now. And it all, um, yeah, it's, I, I miss that, but I mean, it's still, it's still incredible and it's been amazing to watch it grow. Yeah, and pr- presumably you've had a chance to speak to quite a few of the drivers, and presumably um, when they hear you're a DJ or when they hear that you're, you're the DJ, you know they they uh, tend to talk a bit about music. So, which of the drivers do you think have the most um, educated musical taste in dance music and that kind of thing? Well, straight away because I've DJed with him, Antonio Felix da Costa. Oh, um, yeah. He uh, he he knows his stuff. Um, uh, Daniel Apt, he's 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 had a few DJ lessons. I think it was last. 
<laughs> in, in fact, um, he, he's the driver who uh, once said that if he retired from Formula E, he would do something else other than motorsports. So, like, do you think maybe he could be a DJ in the future? I, I think if I think Daniel, if he puts his mind to anything, he can do it. Um, and uh, as I say, I've, I've seen him having some lessons, so uh, you never know. But however, I do know that the Jean Eric Verne is uh, is actually DJ now, and he's actually mm. doing gigs. So uh, he would probably be. I mean, I think. Antonio still likes to sort of play a few tunes a bit, but uh, but uh, I know that Jev is actually um, going out and doing gigs, and uh, we were chatting about it when we were coming back from Mexico, actually. Well, and shout out to Jaime Algasuari, who's actually made a career, made a bit of a career of it as well as Squire. I mean, yes. have, you, have you seen yes, any of his indeed. gigs? Uh, have you DJed with him? Uh, so he, in season one, when we were uh, doing the testing at Donington, he came up, we'd set up like a DJ booth in like the commentator tower and uh, and he came up and we had a chat and he was telling me about what he's doing and producing music and yeah, unfortunately Jaime wasn't, um, there, was, there were a few, I think, I can't remember what why, why he had to drop out of Formula E but, uh, but you I know. it's a health problem. Yeah, yeah, but uh, he, you know, he's he's made a career as a commentator now and he's doing his music so yeah, hats off to him. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, so you're heading off to this live stream now, and if we want to catch your live streams, um, they're, they're on Instagram Live. So uh, what's your Instagram, and how do we follow you? So Instagram is at Formula EJ, mm-hmm. and the live stream will be every Friday. I'm going to try and make it every Friday at 6 p.m. GMT. Uh, and then you can also catch my radio show, EJ Radio, which is available on Apple Podcasts um, at the beginning of each month. All right. Uh, one last question as well, because um, that that podium music, the sort of Calvin Harrisy type podium music they always play, is yep. that is, is that is that one of yours? Um, or that, that is well, it's one one of mine with a, with another producer called Chris Budd. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So that was uh, so when they're actually physically going up to when they're announcing the drivers and going up, yeah. Because I I always refer to it as the Calvin Harris ish one. It's, it's, it's really funny because that's exactly what we referred to it as well. And they were really, they, they, the guys from who do all the, like, the licensing for the music when, when it goes on TV, I played it to them and they, they actually called me up. They said, uh, you haven't just given us a Calvin Harris track. And I thought, you know what, that's a bit of a good compliment. Thank you very much. Hey, it's praise, isn't it? <laughs> no, thank you very much. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good bit of music for them to be uh, jumping up and down on the podium too anyway. Brilliant. Um, all right, um, Sam, EJ, really good to speak to you and uh, enjoy your live stream and uh, hope lots of people follow you as well. Thanks very much, Stuart. Thanks for the interview. Thanks for the time. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll see you at some point on the road when, uh, when everybody's allowed back and, and doing what they do. Thank you for listening to this edition of the eTalking podcast. There'll be plenty more where this came from in the coming weeks and months. So uh, stay tuned for that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whichever your favourite podcast platform is. And don't forget to look at motione.org for plenty of written content there as well. If you're a subscriber to Motion E on Patreon normally, or if you uh, would like to, then I've got to tell you, just hold your horses for a while, because uh, in the current crisis that we all find ourselves in, I have frozen payments and I've decided to uh, freeze the subscription part of Motion E because, quite frankly, everybody needs to look after themselves and their pennies and cents right now and um, there are bigger things than paying for a motorsport site. But as soon as I can up the content and as soon as um, things go back to some form of normality, then there will be plenty of extra content up there for you. Uh, thank you once again uh, to Ahmed, Daniel, Hazel, Steph and Will uh, for your continued support and to anybody else who would like to jump on the Motion E hype train then um, you'll be able to do so in a few months. Thank you so much and thank you to everyone who listens to and supports this podcast. Bye for now.